Today we are continuing our series of studies in the Gospel of John. And today our scripture reading comes from John chapter 6, verse 25. And you'll find it in page 1657. Thomas family, for your benefit, under the seat you'll find a Bible there. And if you can reach it, turn with me to John chapter 6, page 1657. And over these last few Sundays together, as most of you are aware... We have been steadily working our way through this gospel and we will be remaining with John's gospel during January, February, March, all the way to April. And last Sunday morning we looked at the passage of scripture where the disciples were caught in the middle of the Sea of Galilee in a storm and Jesus comes to them and he walks on the water. And in the earlier section of this chapter, you find the feeding of the 5,000. So John chapter 6 is a passage that's packed with rich doctrinal and practical teaching. And today we come to this almost final section in chapter 6. So we begin at chapter 6, verse 25. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? And Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, you're looking for me not because you saw miraculous signs, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. On him God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Then they asked him, What must we do to do the works God requires? And Jesus answered, The work of God is this, to believe in the one whom he has sent. And so they asked him, What miraculous signs then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our forefathers ate the manna in the desert. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. And Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth. It is not Moses who had given you bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, from now on give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. And he who comes to me will never go hungry. And he who believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me and still you do not believe. All the Father has given me will come to you. And whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me. I shall lose none of all that he has given me, but raise them up on the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Amen, and we trust that God will bless to us this reading from his holy word. Last Sunday morning, I mentioned to you that when I was 14 years old and in my English class at school, 
My teacher gave us Macbeth, Shakespeare's play to read. And it took me several weeks to become familiar with a play. And eventually I got there. And as an adult, I have appreciated Shakespeare a little more. And in my odd moments, I take to writing children's nursery rhymes as if William Shakespeare is writing them. And several years ago on YouTube, I came across The Hokey Pokey by William Shakespeare. And so I was fascinated that anyone would go to those lens to write the hokey pokey like Shakespeare. And I took it and pretty much cannibalized it and took a line from here and put it there and a line from a Shakespeare play and inserted it. And so here is my attempts at the hokey pokey by William Shakespeare. O proud foot that ventures quick within, upon a backward journey soon will spin, this gesture tempts the twin. Yet once more unto thy feet, dear friends, command dexterity thy pedestal to bend. Commence thou then the fervid hokey-poke, a mad gyration then indulge thy whole self in wanton swirl to spin, to twirl, to be, or not to be. A wild release from nature's yoke blessed dervish, surely you awoke from sleep perchance to dream of this the hope, the poke, for verily I say without a doubt, forsooth, that's what it's all about. Thank you. And the reason for beginning our study this morning with all of my silliness is this. That Shakespeare version of the hokey pokey doesn't work unless you know the original hokey pokey. And so my silly attempts are filled with imagery and symbolism and metaphor. And it works only if you know the original And in the passage we are looking at this morning, Jesus takes ordinary, everyday items and makes a spiritual point from them. And in fact, he does that several times over these passages. In fact, in chapter 6, he takes up the image of bread, and we're about to look at it. In chapter 7, he uses the image of water. In chapter 8, it's light. And in chapter 10, he speaks of a shepherd. And so he takes ordinary, everyday things that normal, everyday people are familiar with, and he moves it to a whole new level as he seeks to teach a spiritual truth from it. And so this morning, as we are coming to this passage, which focuses on one of the famous sayings of Jesus, I am the bread of life, that's exactly what happens. Now, if you've been with us over the last couple of weeks, I have mentioned that John's gospel is the only gospel that contains the I am sayings of Jesus. And they begin here in chapter 6. I am the bread of life. And then in chapter 8, we read, I am the light of the world. And then in chapter 10, you have, I am the gate for the sheep. 
Chapter 10 again, I am the good shepherd. As you move to chapter 11, you hear Jesus saying, I am the resurrection and the life. Then in 14, I am the way, the truth and the life. And finally in 15, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. And so as you read John's gospel and you come across these series of sayings, I am, Jesus is using everyday people, everyday images, everyday symbolism we can immediately identify with and he moves it to a deeper level to explain exactly who he is. And as you know in John's gospel, whenever Jesus uses symbolism or metaphor, it points to something else and it points in fact to his deity. And in John's Gospel, several times you read the word signs. And that's another characteristic of John's Gospel. John will talk about miracles and signs because they point away from themselves to the person performing the miracle. And so that's exactly what happened at the beginning of chapter 6 when Jesus was feeding the 5,000. It pointed much further than actually the bread and the fish. It pointed to him because only God can take five loaves and two fish and multiply them with great sovereign creative authority and feed 5,000 people. And so with all of that by way of introduction we come to this famous passage of I am the bread of life. Now before we go any further it's helpful for you to also know that John chapter 6 is the longest chapter in John's Gospel. 71 verses, four or five major incidents, the feeding of the 5,000 are the first 15 verses, then Jesus walks on water, we touched on last Sunday, then verse 25, I am the bread of life, then he goes on, to many disciples, in fact, desert Jesus, not the twelve, but others, from verse 60 to the end of the chapter. And so it's a passage packed, as we said earlier, with rich, profound teaching. And whenever you come across a passage of Scripture, it's always helpful to know where did this passage take place. And if you look at chapter 6, it begins... Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far side of the Sea of Galilee. So you know it takes place on the Sea of Galilee. Then verse 16, when evening came. Then verse 25, when they found him on the other side of the lake. And John does a wonderful job of tying these events, significant events, in the life and ministry of Jesus to particular places involving particular people. And sometimes he will tell you whether it's morning or evening. Evening. As you come to chapter 6, this middle section, Jesus the bread of life, it is packed with what academics call didactic dynamics. Now didactic is an academic word which professors and seminary and universities use to describe teaching. And that's exactly what's happening here. There is a great deal of interaction. People are asking Jesus questions. What do you mean when you say you are the bread of life? Moses gave to the people in the wilderness bread to eat. What will you give us? And so there's this 
interaction going on throughout the chapter, and in this middle section, some profound, deep teaching takes place, but it's only at the end of the section, in fact, it's in verse, where is it, verse 59, we read, he said this while teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum. So what we're about to read and what we're about to explore in a much deeper way, imagine in your mind a synagogue in ancient Capernaum where Jesus is teaching. That's where it's taking place. Now, if you've been to ancient Capernaum, and if you're in Israel these days, you can go and see it. It's a very popular tourist area. They have some of the foundations of the original homes right there by the Sea of Galilee. Most of you know that Capernaum was the place where Jesus spent most of his adult life. And in fact, they have a remarkably well-preserved synagogue. Not a full synagogue, but you get the feel and sense of it from the 4th century. And it was built in the 4th century on the original ruins of the 1st century synagogue. And so when you go to ancient Capernaum today, you can put your hand, there's a little fence at the entranceway to the synagogue itself, you can put your hand through and touch the 1st century stonework. And in fact, I was rather sneaky, and I put my foot through and touched it because I wanted to put my foot on stone that Jesus probably walked on. It's right there at the entrance. You can see it and touch it. And that's a remarkable thing to think, I have stood where Jesus actually stood. And that's the context for, what, for all we're about to see here. And so when the passage opens, verse 25 when they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? And Jesus does what he often does. He doesn't even answer the question. But he takes the conversation very quickly to a much deeper level. Notice what he says. And Jesus answered, I tell you the truth. You're looking for me, not because you saw miraculous signs, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. In other words, he's saying to them, you've come today hoping I'm going to give you more loaves and fish. You're hoping to have full tummies. And he understands why they are following him. And he says, takes it a step further, and he says, tell the truth, you're looking for me, not because you saw miraculous signs, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. And so Jesus takes ordinary, everyday things like bread, and he moves it to a much deeper level. And we've seen that several times in John's Gospel, and you see it several times moving on from John chapter 6. Do you remember two weeks ago we looked at John chapter 3? where Jesus had a meeting with Nicodemus. Do you remember what we said about Nicodemus? He probably was considered Israel's best 
teacher in terms of biblical understanding, Jewish tradition, and theology. He was, and if you remember, I said Nicodemus is what, and it was a new word I learned two weeks ago, the grand poobah, and that was Nicodemus. He was a grand poobah. People would look up to him. He was someone of significance. And when Jesus began to speak to Nicodemus about a spiritual life and having a relationship and intimacy with God, Jesus describes it as being born again. But here was Nicodemus still up here thinking about being born physically and Jesus was talking spiritually. And the same happens here. They are asking Jesus about bread physical bread to sustain you and he takes it to a much deeper level almost immediately and he's talking about spiritual nourishment notice what he says do not work for food that spoils i.e. physical but for food that endures to eternal life the spiritual which the son of man will give you And then he continues on him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. And so he's talking about a spiritual reality. Do you remember last Sunday morning in the passage immediately before this? That here were the disciples caught in the boat. And the storm came up. And the waves were coming in over the edge of the boat. It was night. It was dark. They were in a very difficult circumstance. And then they see Jesus walking on the water towards them. And remember what the passage says? And they were terrified. Why were they terrified to see Jesus coming in their direction? Because here was very God of very God restraining and harnessing the raw power of nature and walking on the water. And they realized for themselves that he was no ordinary person. He was very God of very God. Remember the miracle points to something so much greater than the miracle of walking on water. And that's exactly what was happening. And we see it again here as we get further into this passage. And so he says, do not work for food that spoils, but food that endures to eternal life. Notice what comes next, verse 28. Then they asked him, what must we do to do the works God requires? And he answers, the work of God is this, to believe in the one whom he has sent. In other words, Jesus himself. And then they asked him, what miraculous sign will you then give us so that we can believe in you? Notice what they're saying, give us a miraculous sign, as Moses gave a sign to the people in the desert. And I can almost hear Jesus sighing and shaking his head as if to say, wasn't feeding 5,000 people yesterday enough? Do you need something else again today? And if I do something today, will you need something else tomorrow and something else the next day? The work of God is to believe in me whom he has sent. That's what's going on. They're still fixated on the physical and he's bringing them to that deeper intimate place of the spirit. And they are resisting this. And I can imagine them in their minds being a little dismissive, saying, Jesus, you don't get it. 
You don't understand. We are Galileans. We don't need all this talk of intimacy with God and Bible study and prayer and all that stuff. Give us something we can see and touch. Give us something tangible. Don't go taking faith too far. We're practical people. We live in the real world. And here's Jesus almost pleading with them, please understand what's happening. Forget the physical and think of the spiritual, the heart, the mind, the soul that's transformed. And what does he do? He takes them to the next level. Notice what happens. So the conversation goes back and forward. Jesus, verse 33, for the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they say, verse 34, and now you have the turning point. Now you have the key that unlocks this passage. And they say to him, sir, from now on, give us this bread. They're still thinking physically. And then Jesus declares, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry, and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. That's what's taking place here. Now pause for a moment. And way back in December at some point, I mentioned to you that whenever you come to a passage of Scripture, it's a little like going into... Uh, a restaurant for lunch that has three large screen televisions all running at the same time. And on this one you'll have sports. On this one you'll have a talking panel where folks are discussing whatever items they're discussing. And on this one you have breaking news. And the idea is that while you're having your lunch or having something to eat, you can see the latest sports results. Then you can see a panel of talk show hosts and over here you can see breaking news. Sometimes they'll have the weather on there as well. And whenever you come to a passage of Scripture, it's a little like that. You're keeping your eye on what does the passage teach us about theological truth? How is the passage itself, un, what is the best way to put it, unfolding in terms of the context they're in and over here you have a third panel that often tells us about the history or the geographical location so those are kind of the three areas you're keeping your eye on and right here you're keeping your eye on the literary the literary large screen and a literary large screen will focus on how a sentence is put together why does Jesus use particular words in a particular order? And if he uses them in a particular manner, why is that different when he uses the same words in a different context? And what do they mean in this context? And that's exactly what we're seeing here. Because in our English translation, it's very difficult to see the depths of this phrase, I am the bread of life. It's a fairly straightforward phrase, but in ancient Greek, which the New Testament was written in, it comes in a particular order, which our English doesn't, and sometimes we're in danger of missing it. Whenever you come across the term I am, the Greek word for it fairly simply is ego. It's as simple as that. It points towards personality and character. 
But there's another use of the word I am. And it's pronounced e-me. E-me. So you have ego and e-me. And in this passage, you find both of them together. And that is extremely rare in Scripture. And so you have, I am, I am the bread of life. And it seems redundant. Why would he say it twice? Now, of course, when Scripture was written, there was no word processing. There was no highlighting. There was no bold. It never appeared in parenthesis. It simply, in fact, the literal translation is, the bread of life, I am, I am. And so when you're reading it or you're hearing it as Jesus audience that day or his listeners in the synagogue, they're saying, wait a minute, there's something significant happening here. He is repeating himself. And of course, he was repeating himself to underline and highlight what is taking place. Now, one of the other places we find these two words together is Moses at the burning bush. And do you remember we mentioned this over the last couple of weeks when God speaks directly to Moses and he says to him, Moses, I am calling you to go back to Egypt. And Moses comes up with one excuse after another, after another, after another. And eventually God says, to, and he says to God, who will I tell them has sent me when they push back and say we will never release those slaves? Who will I say sent me? And that passage reads... Tell them, I am, I am has sent you. And so when Jesus says, I am the bread of life, he is saying, I am very God of very God. It was I am who walked on water yesterday. It was I am who fed 5,000 with loaves and fish. Don't you get it? I am the one who has been sent. That's the significance of what's going on right here. And he says, I am the bread of life. He is taking the ordinary, the everyday, and making a spiritual truth from it. And why bread? Quite simply. Because bread in those days was needed for daily sustenance, for nourishment. I suspect, and let me do a brief survey because I want to tell the 11 o'clock congregation about my survey. Yesterday morning around 9.30 when it started to snow, how many of you in the back of your mind thought, do I have bread and milk at home? Hands up please. How many? Let me see. Yeah, I think a number of you because it's that instant reaction, isn't it? If this snow continues, if the temperature drops? Will I survive? Do I have the basics? Is there bread and milk? That's what's going on here. Jesus is saying, I will provide spiritual bread. 
Bread that will sustain you. Bread that will feed you. Bread that will bring satisfaction to your heart and mind and soul. Bread that will do what? Draw us into a relationship with each other. And here are his listeners that morning in the synagogue beginning to understand that the raw, primary, instinctive desire to know God and walk with Him is found in Christ. That's what's going on here. And notice he takes it a step further. I am the bread of life and he who comes to me will never go hungry and he who believes in me will never be thirsty again. I will fulfill the deepest longings of your heart to cleanse you and renew you and refresh you and draw you into a relationship with me and it is as basic as bread itself. It is life giving. It is nurturing. It is nourishing. It sustains us. And then he says, but as I told you You have seen me and still you don't believe. Yet all the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. Now having said all of that, where do we go from here? Further on in the New Testament, in the epistle of James. James, who was the brother of Jesus. James, who did not come to a living faith till after the resurrection of Jesus, he writes in his opening chapter, do not merely listen to the word of God, but do what it says. And that's a challenge for us this morning, isn't it? Do not merely listen. Don't pay lip service to it, because there's a world of a difference between reading a menu and actually eating a meal. There's a world of a difference between going to the pharmacist, picking up your medication, and a world of difference between having it in your hand and actually taking it. That's the point James is making. Do not merely listen to the Word of God, but do what it says. He's saying it's not enough to be aware of it. It's not enough to read it, but you need to spend time in it. You need to go deeper into its pages because then you will be sustained. Then you will be fed. Then you will be equipped. And He will give to you the the very bread of life that will enable you to endure. Do you remember back in our reading this morning, verse 27, do not work for food that spoils, but food that endures. So please hear me as I draw this to a conclusion this morning. He gives to us through the pages of his word. He gives to us Words of life that will enable us to endure. He feeds us and He sustains us. That's why on Sunday morning more time is given to the study of God's Word than any other element in worship because it speaks to us. It encourages us. It warms our hearts. It says to us, take this lesson this morning, apply it to your life this week to live out your faith Do not merely listen, do what it says. 
And he gives us his word to endure. To endure when a family member, someone we have loved, has been diagnosed with a terminal illness. Then we endure through his word. When it becomes painful and hurtful and debilitating, then we hear his words from this passage, any who comes to me, I will never drive away. When we are watching a loved one, a parent or a grandparent, become distant in the slow, debilitating nature of dementia, no longer able to recognize you or express their love to you, in the midst of all of that, He will sustain you. In the midst of friendship turning sour and rupturing, and feeling that you have No one who cares for you. No one who empathizes with you. You are left on your own. He is right there with you. When families separate and divorce comes upon them. And the hopes and dreams of yesterday are no longer a reality. We endure because we hear him saying, Come to me, all you who are heavy laden. I will be there with you. That's how he enables us to endure. And he gives us food, spiritual, dwelling up within us. And he feeds us and sustains us and enables us to live out our faith. It impacts our character, our personality. He sustains us by his word. And so if the week ahead is bringing you challenges you couldn't imagine, please remember that for you He is the bread of life, the primary source of nourishment and sustenance. It is the stuff of life. And you can trust Him in the middle of it all to give you food that endures. Let's pray together. Father, Thank you for this passage of Scripture this morning. Thank you that you do give us us spiritual food that equips us and enables us to face tough and difficult and hard days. But also it brings to us blessed days. Days when we sense you right beside us. Days when you encourage us because you are the great I am. Father, bless us this week and enable us not simply to listen to the word, but to do what it says. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.